Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Today is Monday, February 8th, 2021. On this day in 1587, Mary, Queen of Scots, was beheaded in Northamptonshire, England. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Due to the graphic nature of today's events, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of executions that some people may find disturbing. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Today we're covering the execution of Mary, Queen of Scots. Let's go back to Fotheringay Castle, England on the morning of February 8th, 1587. Queen Mary held her head high as she approached the stage which had been assembled in the Great Hall of Fotheringay Castle. At age 44, she was still stately and beautiful, though her radiant good looks had dimmed significantly over the previous 19 years being kept in captivity could have that effect. The platform she walked toward was draped with black fabric, befitting the mood. It was, after all, where she was about to meet her doom. But from the way she kept her back straight and held her chin high, you would never be able to tell. When Mary came to the foot of the stairs leading up to the scaffolding, she paused. Her jailer, who had looked over her for so long, helped her up. Reportedly, she responded gracefully. She said, I thank you, sir. This is the last trouble I shall ever give you. The one-time Queen of Scotland and France sat in a chair on the stage and looked out at the crowd. It was a good showing. Over 100 people had gathered to witness her demise. She spared a glance at her black-clad executioner. His axe lay on the floor beside him, ready to do its bloody deed. Before Mary went to meet her maker, there was one last formality. Her execution warrant was read aloud, but this was interrupted by a man who broke through the crowd. Claiming to be an official of the Church of England, he offered her one last chance to embrace what he called the true faith. Mary turned him down. She was a devout Catholic and said that she was born in that religion, had lived in that religion, and was resolved to die in that religion. After saying her piece, Mary ignored the man as he continued shouting at her. Instead of responding, she began to pray, quietly chanting in Latin. Kneeling before her, the executioner asked her forgiveness for what he was about to do. Mary gave it freely. She was at peace. Mary gestured to her ladies-in-waiting, who stood by her side to the bitter end. 
she needed their help to remove her black outer gown before facing the executioner's block. The ladies obliged, unbuttoning the dark garment to reveal a bright scarlet dress. It was quite a statement, evoking fierce passion and, of course, blood. Her ladies-in-waiting also helped Mary take off her headdress and veil, which were laid down on a stool. The doomed queen then kissed her crucifix one last time before setting it next to her prayer book. Mary passed a delicate handkerchief to one of her ladies to tie around her eyes as a blindfold. The lady's hands shook so hard that Mary had to help steady her. Then, the queen was led to the executioner's block. At this point, she murmured in Latin, Into thy hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. The critical moment had come. The executioner raised his axe and brought it down in a long arc. But his aim was not true. He missed the mark badly, only managing to graze Mary's head. As blood spurted from the wound, Mary moaned in pain, again beseeching her god. The executioner raised his blade for another blow. On the second attempt, the axe connected with the queen's neck, but still didn't manage to complete the job, leaving the head still partially attached. At this point, the executioner began to saw through the flesh still connecting the dying queen's neck to her body in an attempt to complete the botched beheading. Finally, the deed was done. Mary's head rolled away from her body, which fell backward, its lifeblood flowing freely. The executioner grabbed the severed head and hoisted it into the air, shouting, God save Queen Elizabeth. But the crowd was shocked when the head slipped from his grasp and fell to the floor, leaving the executioner holding a red wig. Meanwhile, the head faced the crowd, graying hair revealed. Terrifyingly, the queen's lips were still moving. There was another shock as a small dog emerged from the voluminous folds of Mary's red gown. It was the late queen's pet, which had been hidden in the dress. The dog howled at his owner's lifeless body. For a time after the execution, Mary's severed head was placed on display in an open window at Fotheringay Castle. All the rest of her possessions, her prayer book, crucifix, blood-stained clothes, even the execution block, were taken outside and burned, effectively erasing the physical traces of the Queen of Scots' life. Coming up, the unlucky road that led Queen Mary to her death. Hi, it's Vanessa from Parcast. They say there's someone for everyone, a soul to share your secrets with, a companion to grow old with, a conspirator to commit crimes with. Starting this February on Spotify, learn about the lethal and legendary lovers who fought the law in the Parcast limited series, Criminal Couples. 
If you've ever referred to your best friend or beloved as your partner in crime, this exclusive series is for you. Beginning February 1st, join me for a collection of unlawful love stories from shows across the ParCast network. Discover the extreme beliefs of cult leaders Tony and Susan Alamo, enter Fred and Rose West's real-life house of horrors, and experience the madness and motives of the San Francisco witch killers. Fall for the most famous and feared pairs in history in the Spotify original from ParCast, Criminal Couples. Enjoy two-part episodes every Monday starting February 1st. Follow Criminal Couples free and exclusively on Spotify. Now back to the story. In some ways, the events that led Queen Mary to the execution block on February 8, 1587, began just six days after she was born in 1542. That was when she ascended to the throne of Scotland in the wake of her father's death. However, a newborn baby could hardly be expected to carry out the day-to-day -day business of ruling a country, so her mother ruled in her name until Mary came of age. When the young queen was just five years old, she was sent to the French court of King Henry II. Surrounded by the height of luxury and elegance, she grew into a beautiful young woman, well-versed in multiple languages, fine art, music, and poetry. In 1558, when she was just 15, she married the heir to the French throne. Her husband, Francis, was crowned king the following year when his father died. Mary then became queen consort of France, as well as queen of Scotland. And on top of those titles, she also had a contested claim to the English throne. At that point, Queen Elizabeth I, who was Protestant, ruled over England. Her father, King Henry VIII, had cut ties with the Catholic Church in order to divorce and marry Elizabeth's mother, Anne Boleyn. As a staunch Catholic, Mary believed Henry's marriage to Anne Boleyn to be illegitimate. As such, she viewed her cousin Elizabeth as an illegitimate heir. The way Mary saw it, since she was King Henry's great-niece, she was the rightful heir to the English throne. Naturally, Queen Elizabeth disagreed. A string of tragedies soon put the two queens on a collision course. When Mary was just 17, her husband, King Francis, died, after which she returned to her native Scotland. But when she arrived, her country was in the midst of a contentious religious revolution and increasingly hostile toward Catholics like her. Many of her fellow Scottish nobles didn't support her reign. A few years later, in 1565, the situation worsened when Mary wedded Henry Stuart, her cousin, and the Earl of Darnley. Over time, she came to detest him. Her hatred grew when he and a group of nobles murdered her secretary right in front of her. Even the birth of their son James in 1566 did little to endear Mary to her husband. Later that year, suspicion fell on Mary when Henry was murdered while recovering from a sickness. Public opinion turned further against her when she remarried just three months after her husband's death. 
It didn't help that her newest husband was the Earl of Bothwell, who many suspected had a hand in killing Henry Stuart. Scottish nobles turned on Mary, taking her and Bothwell captive just months later in the Battle of Carberry Hill. Bothwell was exiled while Mary was imprisoned and dethroned. Her one-year-old son James was elevated to sovereign in her place. With her back up against a wall, Mary reached out to her cousin Elizabeth in England, seeking refuge there. Unfortunately, fleeing to England only made her situation worse. There was still bad blood between the monarchs after Mary had challenged Elizabeth's legitimacy as Queen of England. Once Mary was on English soil, Elizabeth moved to neutralize her cousin as a threat. Elizabeth came up with clever political and legal reasons to keep Mary locked up in various castles for nearly 20 years. But even as a prisoner in England, Mary drew supporters to her cause, as there were Catholics there who believed that she was their rightful queen. When these supporters plotted to assassinate Queen Elizabeth in 1586, suspicion again fell on Mary, and this time there was nowhere for her to run. Mary was tried and found guilty of treason. Elizabeth herself had to sign the death warrant, but she hesitated, well aware of the precedent that would set. If Mary, who had been a queen of two powerful countries, could be put to death, then there was nothing to stop her from facing the same fate. In the end, though, Elizabeth's political advisors convinced her that Mary was too dangerous, both to the monarchy and to the nation, to be kept alive. Queen Mary's death marked a significant turning point for European monarchs. It was the first time that a divinely anointed queen had been legally executed. Going back as far as anyone could remember, all monarchs were considered untouchable by the laws of men, answerable only to divine authority. But Queen Mary losing her head changed all that. After that day in 1587, no monarch sat quite so easily on their throne. They knew that if Mary could be imprisoned and put to death, so could they. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more stories like this, check out the Spotify original from Parcast, Assassinations. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Nani Okwilagu, with writing assistance by Alex Benedon, and fact-checking by Bennett Logan. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Hi. 
Hi, it's Vanessa again. Before you go, don't forget to check out the new ParCast limited series, Criminal Couples. From apocalyptic cult leaders to bank-robbing bandits to married mafiosos, these couples give new meaning to Till Death Do Us Part. Enjoy two-part episodes every Monday starting February 1st. Follow Criminal Couples free and exclusively on Spotify.